0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1,958 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 27th of April, 2023, at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. This week our four readers are Dorothy Allen, Mick Walsh, Anne Crawford and Andrew Dilger. And our recording engineer this week is Eric imson. As is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette, plus a sprinkling of items from elsewhere, from, for instance, the Chipping Norton News and the Countryman. But we'll begin with the Gazette's uh, lead story this week, uh, which is read by Dorothy, um, and it's a familiar topic.
1: I'm afraid so. The headline is Campaigners Win Battle to Stop Housing at Woodland. Campaigners have won a landmark case to to stop a housing scheme at a protected woodland site. The High Court has quashed West Oxfordshire District Council's decision to push through the contentious development on the edge of Rushy Bank near Chalbury in the Cotswolds area of Natural Outstanding Beauty. Friends of the West Oxfordshire Cotswolds have spent several years fighting the building of 25 homes and a 12-bedroom supported living facility at the site. They argued that the development should never have been permitted beyond the town boundary and so close to the woodland. In his judgment, Judge Jarman Casey found that the District Council had failed to deliver the minimal ancient woodland protections required by its own planning permission. He also highlighted that the original plans did not comply with national standards for protection of ancient woodland. It is the second time that the High Court has intervened in the Council's approval of the development. James Whitehead, spokesman for the charity, said, According to the Woodland Trust, Ancient woodland covers just 2.5% of the UK and is protected as an irreplaceable habitat. We find it bewildering that the council seems to have ignored national requirements and the guidance given by Natural England and the Forestry Commission to try and push through this ecologically damaging development. Woodland Trust lead campaigner Jack Taylor added, Ancient woodlands are irreplaceable, rich with wildlife, and a vital component of the British landscape. They are nature's cathedrals. The decision made by High Court in this case is hugely significant. Not only does it ensure the protection of this individual wood, but it also recognises the importance of wider protections for ancient woodlands. Ancient woodland must be protected at all costs. West Oxfordshire District Council first approved the plans in November 2015, but a judge revoked planning consent in July 2017. The application was re-approved by the authority, subject to a legal agreement in January 2020. Mr Whitehead said, We are dismayed at the way taxpayers' money is being squandered. Surely public money could be better spent fixing potholes or improving local schools. A council spokesperson said the council has received the decision taken by the judge on this case and will be reviewing it over the coming days to see what actions may be taken. We have been working proactively to resolve the issues with regards to providing the required five metre buffer zone around the ancient woodland. We have already approved an updated planning application that includes the protection for the woodlands highlighted in this case. This development will deliver affordable homes, self-built homes, a dementia care home and other infrastructure to
0: the local area. And next it's Mick with a related story.
2: Yeah, it's uh, more housing controversy in the area. The headline is Planner called for 80 home development to be rejected. The planning officer in charge of an application for 80 new homes in a West Oxfordshire village has suggested it be rejected. Joan Desmond made the recommendation ahead of this week's West Oxfordshire District Council planning meeting at which a decision was set to be made and which was taking place after the Gazette went to press. Construction company Spitfire Homes is proposing to build the properties in the village of Freeland on the Chapel Meadows site, which is currently open countryside. The development will also include a community shop and an allotment patch. Villagers have expressed opposition to the plans, saying that the village is already at capacity. One concerned uh, person, Jane Tomlinson, wrote on West Oxfordshire District Council's public planning portal, Freeland's population is 1,500. A new estate of 80 houses plonked in a field would increase the size of the village by 10 plus percent. It's too big, entirely inappropriate and has numerous knock-on effects. Freeland Village School is already at capacity and would require enlarged class sizes and more classrooms to accommodate children from the development. How will they do that? Another resident, Elaine Hardy, added on the public planning portal... The development would have a significant negative impact on the village of Freeland. Another 80 houses equates to potentially an additional 100 to 160 cars.
0: There's a bank holiday coming up, and next we'll hear from Anne with some news that we can all use.
3: Yes, no change for May's bank holiday bin collection, says the headline. (coughs) Householders in West Oxfordshire can expect their waste and recycling collections to take place as normal over the early May bank holiday. The authority has previously suspended curbside waste and recycling collections on set bank holiday Mondays. However, new working arrangements means that the the all scheduled bank holidays in May, including the extra day (coughs) granted to mark the coronation, UBICO's waste collections will go ahead. The change, which will also apply to August bank holiday, has been introduced to reduce the number of times crews are required to work on the Saturday following a bank holiday to catch up on collections. During these weeks, residents simply need to put their containers out in their usual collection day the council is reminding householders to check the authority's website to keep up to date and to view download or print the latest waste collection calendar
0: and finally in this first round of stories it's andrew with a report about dog owners who are angry about river pollution
4: the headline is Dog Owners Fear Sewage in Water, Making Pets Sick Fears have been raised that dogs swimming in West Oxfordshire rivers and streams are being harmed by sewage releases. Pet owners in the district have complained on social media of sickness in dogs that have been in waterways around Lee, near Whitney and Ensham. One reported their pet suffered diarrhoea, Lethargy and being off their food, which they found very upsetting. Adding, I've stopped my dog drinking from the ditches and streams now. Another said they knew of a dog that had become gravely ill and was rushed to vets in Woodstock on the night, resulting in a three thousand pound bill. Vet Fiona Miller from Medivet Ensham said a link could not be made between dogs getting ill and sewage in the rivers and could not give a definitive diagnosis. The chair of campaign group Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, Ash Smith, claimed the Thames and Wharf Stream at Ensham carried treated and untreated sewage. He said... It is a highly polluted area by South Lee, with untreated discharges over 1,482 hours last year, despite almost a year of disruption to residents over so-called maintenance. He added, I have two dogs and I am very careful about where I let them drink or swim, having spent about five years looking into this murky business. It is not at all easy to link sickness in dogs to pollution events. Vets don't do that sort of follow-up. But we can point to the smoking gun of a dreadful outfall at South Lee. A spokesman for the Veterinary Association has said it was not aware of specific cases of dogs being poisoned by sewage although there was speculation earlier this year that some dogs with aspiration pneumonia could have got it as a result of swimming in polluted seawater. Thames Water said discharges of diluted sewage were only one of the many sources of pollution in rivers. A spokesperson said, "'Animal faeces from livestock and wildlife, "'along with runoff from farms and roads,' Also contribute to the hazards found in rivers. He continued, We have a planned 2.5 million upgrade for South Lee Sewage Treatment Works, which is expected to be completed in 2024.
1: Uh, The headline of this article is Mystery over Level Crossing Tragedy. It is unclear whether the death of a West Oxfordshire woman hit by a train was an accident or suicide, an inquest heard. Emily Hickman, aged 34, from Chipping Norton, died on November 30th last year at a level crossing in Kidlington, north of Oxford. The incident occurred at approximately 4.30pm and the delivery driver was pronounced dead at the scene at around 5.11pm. A post-mortem examination found the mother of two's cause of death to be massive trauma. The inquest heard last week that an eyewitness had seen Miss Hickman's car parked close to the level crossing in Kidlington at around 3.45pm and that a lone driver was inside. A witness statement from the train driver Andrew Christie was also read out by Assistant Coroner Nicholas Graham at Oxford's Coroner Court. He was driving a freight train south towards Oxford when the incident occurred, Mr Christie said I was travelling at approximately 60 to 65 MPH Weather conditions were dry As I drew closer to the crossing I saw a lone figure in dark clothing running onto the crossing I immediately sounded the horn and applied the brakes It appeared she tried to turn around but there was nothing I could do to stop the locomotive from hitting her But John Wilson, a fatality investigator for the British Transport Police, disputed Mr Christie's claim that Ms Hickman had tried to turn back after reviewing the camera footage from the train. He told the inquest that he could see no evidence of an effort made by Ms Hickman to turn back, although she did stop. He explained that the train driver was travelling at speed and that the height that the train driver sits means they cannot see directly in front of them on the tracks. Mr. Wilson added that there was no evidence of third party involvement in the incident and that the death had been recorded as unexplained but not suspicious. Assistant Coroner Nicholas Graham told the inquest that there was insufficient evidence to rule a conclusion of either suicide or an accident. Ms. Hickman had not shown an intention previously to take her own life. Nor had a suicide note been left. There was also no explanation as to why she was at the level crossing that links Kidlington and a nature reserve on November the 30th. Instead, Mr. Graham gave a narrative conclusion. He told Oxford to Crown Coroner's Court. On November the 30th, she was struck by a freight train travelling south to Oxford. She suffered severe injuries and died at the scene.
2: Now, uh, music to the ears of record collectors. Um, The headline in the Gazette is Record Shop Keeps Vinyl Collectors in the Groove. Music lovers flocked to Whitney's independent music shop to celebrate Record Store Day on Saturday. The truck store in Whitney took part in the International Annual um, Record Store Day along with around 260 other independent record shops across the UK. The event which was conceived in 2007 to entice music lovers back into record shops, is marked with limited edition releases, in-store events and live concerts in shops up and down the country. Gary Smith, who owns the shop in the Woolgate Centre, said it was a huge success. He added, Back in the beginning, it was just a few records on a little table and it's now just grown and grown. We had the biggest cues yet but we managed to make sure everyone was happy and got what they wanted. The most popular releases this year were the 1975 Live with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra and Taylor Swift's album Folklore, the Long Pond Studio Sessions. The first customer started queuing outside the shop at 3am on Saturday morning. And uh, by 8am opening... The cues stretch back to Superdrug and beyond. Um, I mean, some of us actually didn't turn up there till 11 o'clock and all our, the ones we were after had all gone. But um, you could get for £20 a um, maxi-single by U2 of songs that have already been released 30 years ago, or you could get um, an album box set of weird and wonderful American psychedelic music by bands like the 13th Floor Elevators and the Electric Prunes for a mere £150. And the the picture in the Gazette shows the truck store with a shopper walking past. So I suspect that was taken on the, I don't know, a couple of days before the actual event event.
3: Headline here, large majority of children offered their first place, first choice. Almost 94%, that's uh, 6,729 children, have been offered their first choice for starting infant or primary schools in Oxfordshire. Last year's figure was 91.5%. That's 6,459 children, which means a higher number of parents across the county have been offered their first choice of primary school for the coming year. The percentage receiving a first choice of primary schools in England in 2023 is not yet known. However, Oxfordshire's percentage receiving their first choice is generally thought to be better than the national average. This year, there are 7,189 Oxfordshire children who need school places for September this year. This is 129 more than last year, when 7,060 Oxfordshire children needed school places. Hayley Good, Oxfordshire County Council's Deputy Director of Children's Services in Education, said, Our school... Admissions team has done an excellent job in ensuring that so many children have been offered first place, first choice. I'm grateful to the team for all their hard work. Our aim as a council is to give every child a good start in life.
4: And the headline of this one is Wildlife Trust urges candidates to support nature. The Wildlife Trust has urged prospective councillors to promise to restore nature in their areas. The Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire Wildlife Trust, or BBOWT, called on all candidates in next week's local elections to sign a pledge for nature. The Trust has written to hundreds of candidates standing for 300 seats in 11 councils across the three counties the Trust covers. Each one has been invited to sign a pledge saying that they will work to create, enhance, and restore nature in my council area. The Trust has published a web page where people can find out who their local candidates are, whether they have signed the pledge, and contact individual candidates asking them to sign it. Matthew Stanton BBOWT, Head of Planning and Advocacy, said, Local councillors have fantastic opportunities to make small changes, like standing up for green space and fighting unsustainable development. And these acts can add up to make a huge difference for wildlife and for people. That's why we're asking all the candidates in our area to make a pledge, and we're asking everyone else to vote for nature. Elections take place for 16 places on West Oxfordshire District Council on Thursday, May 4th. Voters can find a list of candidates in their area, find out if they have signed the pledge, and ask them to sign it at bbowt.org.uk forward slash vote hyphen Nature hashtag list hyphen of hyphen candidates. Hmm, that's quite a long one. I'll rerun that for you. bbowt.org.uk forward slash vote hyphen nature hashtag list hyphen of hyphen candidates. The list of candidates who have signed the pledge will be regularly updated until election day. Election candidates can find out more about the pledge and sign it at bbowt.org.uk forward slash vote hyphen nature hyphen candidates.
1: The headline reads, Great Chippy Bank Robbery. Chippy's last high street bank branch, Barclays, has written to customers announcing closure on Thursday the 6th of July. All four banks opened back in 2000 were then have disappeared. Barclays, following all the others, has nearly 100 further branches closing in 2023. On Barclays' website, each branch due to close has a little public report with the headline, We're closing, but it's not goodbye. A triumph for the PR department? They say physical visits have dropped and customers are choosing to bank a different way. 86% of customers using the Chippy branch also use other ways, i.e. phone or online, to bank. And only 37 Chippy customers use the branch as their own way to bank. They say for basic counter services, i.e. Cash and cheque banking use Chippy Post Office or, for other issues, use Barclays in Whitney and Banbury. Barclays, like TSP, say that they will have a person to talk to in the community at a town location initially for four days a week. One idea being rolled out in other towns where banks have closed is for a community banking hub where all banks could use a single space in town for talking to their customers alongside post office run counters, ATM and a cash counting machine nearby. Could that happen in Chippy? Mayor Sandra Coleman said she is keen to see what's possible.
2: OK, and uh, taking off for the future, we've got Bryce Cruise Help RAF Fly to a More Sustainable Future. An RAF Voyager aircraft powered by a blend of fossil fuels and sustainable aviation fuel, such as used cooking oil, has successfully refuelled mid-air. The air-to-air refuelling flight, powered by approximately 43% sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, flew from RAF Brys Norton last week. The plane, which is usually used by the King, Prince of Wales and Prime Minister and is emblazoned with the Union flag, flew out over the North Sea where it undertook air-to-air refuelling with four typhoons from RAF Coningsby as part of a planned training. Returning home, it flew 500 feet above the runway at Farnborough where a two-day Sustainable Skies World Summit is taking place. Sustainable aviation fuel reduces life-cycle carbon emissions on average by up to 80% compared to conventional jet fuel. It is hoped as more producers emerge and costs fall, increased use of SAF should help to improve the RAF's operational resilience and reduce its reliance on global supply chains and fossil fuels. This significant flight is the latest in a series of milestones for the RAF towards a sustainable aviation future. In November 2022, an RAF Voyager completed a groundbreaking trial flight during which it flew on 100% SAF. Leftover fuel from the test was mixed with regular fuel at around 46 48%, the RAF said. The RAF worked with BP, who supplied the fuel to recertify the mixture and ensure the required standards for safety and effective mission. Defence Minister Baroness Goldie said greater use of alternative and sustainable fuel can only lead to positive outcomes for defence, the United Kingdom and our collective endeavour against climate change. This is not an easy undertaking by the RAF, But time and again, we see that by working collaboratively with our partners across the industry, we can achieve crucial transformation. On the same day at the Sustainable Skies World Summit, a new net zero carbon roadmap for commercial aviation was launched. Chief of Staff Support and Chief Engineer, Air Vice Marshal Paul Lloyd, added... The continued success of sustainable aviation fuel is reassuring to see. If we are to achieve our net zero goal by 2040, then exploiting these technologies is going to be an enormous but worthwhile endeavour. Despite the challenge, the benefits of reducing our reliance on traditional supply chains and fossil fuels outweigh it. The RAF is proud to be leading in this area and I welcome the announcement, introduction, of commercial uses of SAF, he added.
3: Warning after thefts from cars in our district. Drivers are being warned to take extra care amid a recent spate in thefts from vehicles in West Oxfordshire. Officers are warning that many incidents are taking place at beauty spots or isolated areas across the district. Police Community Support Officer Darren Moulding from Thames Valley Police said these would be in areas such as dog walking areas, bridle paths, designated walking areas and places where, they just, where it's just nice to stop and look at the scene. But leaving your vehicle with valuables inside makes it a target. While we do proactively direct our patrols in and around these areas, especially this time of year, we sadly carried, covered, can't carry, cover every area. It's important to double-check your vehicle, that it's locked, and any valuables removed or out of sight. If you see any person or vehicles that you suspect are suspicious, then please ring us. On 101 or report it online summer will eventually be upon us so let's not make it easy for these thieves to target your vehicles and take possessions
4: and the headline of this is parents appalled by response to bus row Parents set to be affected by the Council's withdrawal of school bus services are appalled. They've been asked to take part in communication workshops. Oxfordshire County Council has failed to reassure 235 families that the spare seats scheme will not be withdrawn from September. The scheme allows parents and carers who do not qualify for free home-to-school transport to pay for seats on buses where there is space. It affects some pupils at the Marlborough School in Woodstock, Woodgreen School in Whitney, and St. Joseph's School in Carterton. Last month the council leader, Liz Leffman, was forced to apologize for causing a great deal of anxiety after parents said that they were left feeling anxious and stressed when they were made aware that spare seats schemes routes were being significantly reduced. The council has since sent out a new letter to parents in which they have apologised for the tone of the last letter and for acting insensitively by offering very little explanation for the planned withdrawal. However, parents have told the Whitney Gazette that they are not convinced by this apology, as, instead of confirming the withdrawal will not go ahead, they have been invited to workshops which will help the Council with their future communications. The letter states, We would like to invite you to work with us to improve our communications to families. In the coming weeks, we will be running a number of online workshops to seek feedback and ask for suggestions about how we can improve and what you would like to see from our communications in future. Save Our Bus Seats campaigner, Clara Dorr, said she was appalled the council had wasted taxpayers' money on this letter instead of pausing the withdrawal of the spare seats scheme. Dor said... We have already told the Scrutiny Committee we do not want to receive this letter. It is literally a paper exercise in pretending to listen to us, as it proves they have not. Asking us to take part in workshops designed to help them communicate better is a joke, and none of our members will be taking up the offer. Mazdor said parents were only interested in hearing that the Cabinet had taken on board the committee's recommendation that the massive reduction in school bus seats was paused, instead of pushed through quietly as planned. The recommendation specifically suggests that a moratorium on changes to the spare seats scheme is set up swiftly. Since parents hit out at councillors Leffman and Liz Brighouse for not engaging with what they were saying in a council meeting last month, Ms Dorr said she was more confident now that it was impossible for this nonsense to be nodded through. A county council spokesman said, The home-to-school transport team continue to work with transport providers, parents and schools to explore and establish replacement services where spare seat numbers will reduce.
0: And next, it's the editor's choice of articles. The weather has been a big topic of conversation in my household these past weeks. When's it going to stop raining? My wife has been asking somewhat rhetorically most mornings. She's keen that we get our veg seedlings into the allotment and needs the elements to cooperate. So, my attention was drawn to an article written in the Countryman magazine by Simone Stanbrook Byrne, who went behind the scenes at the Met Office. The headline of the story is From Sorcery to Shipping Forecast, and it reads To island dwellers like the British, the weather is a, is a topic of conversation and something of an institution. The weather governs so much of the way we lead our lives and at the heart of it all is another great British institution, the Meteorological, or MET, Office. Dr Catherine Ross, who's archivist for the MET Office, based in Exeter, told me that there's far more to their work than the day-to-day forecasting with which we're all familiar. She worked at the Army Medical Services Museum and said, every archive is different. It was quite a change from military medicine to meteorology. I had to learn all about current and historical weather and climate science in order to understand the records I care for here. Catherine's work gives a fascinating insight into weather forecasting down the centuries. She said, the oldest item in the archive is an illuminated manuscript dated to approximately 1290 it is the text of, and this is Latin, so forgive me if I haven't got it completely correct, De Negocio Naturali, which translates as On Natural Business, and was written by the Austrian bishop Albertus Magnus. It would have been transcribed by a monk and is in contracted medieval Latin. She said, In an era when it was unwise to question the supremacy of God or of the Catholic Church, Magnus instead seems to have taken a very analytical approach, some might say cowardly, I suppose, questioning the work instead of Aristotle and other great thinkers. Catherine explains that from a meteorological aspect, one of the key things in his manuscript is a study of reflection and refraction. By experimenting with light, Magnus realised the only way a rainbow could occur was if raindrops were spherical. The nature of white light itself was not understood until Isaac Newton, almost 400 years later. So Magnus's work was an impressive achievement. And he's now Saint, Ma- saint Albertus Magnus, um, the patron saint of natural scientists. The Met Office itself was founded in 1854 and was potentially operating illegally for its first 97 years. Henry VIII had outlawed weather forecasting as sorcery, and it's a law which was not fully repealed until 1951. Catherine said, "...foretelling the weather was seen as prophecy and implied a magical ability to tell the future." The weather was one thing, but those who could foretell the future might also look into the fate of the monarch, and that was far less desirable. The weather diaries of Admiral Sir Francis Beaufort are also held at the archive, and Catherine describes their relevance to meteorology. Beaufort was born in 1774 and went to sea at the age of 14. He came to specialise in the creation of charts, and as a skilled surveyor understood the importance and accuracy of these charts. As his career developed, he became increasingly dissatisfied with the established means of measuring and recording wind speed in naval logs. The single most important entry in his weather diaries dates to the 12th of January 1806, when, as commander of HMS Woolwich, he wrote the following words, Hereafter... I shall estimate the force of the wind according to the following scale, as nothing can convey a more uncertain idea of wind and weather than the old expressions of moderate and cloudy. After this, he inscribed the first version of what we now know as the Beaufort scale. Catherine said the first Beaufort scale had 13 wind forces, but Beaufort edited it and improved it. On the first page of his 1807 diary he produced the recognisable scale with 12 forces ending in hurricane and descriptions of how each of these would affect a standard Royal Navy frigate, a man of war. Beaufort's wind scale was adopted around the world and is still used today. The Met Office was founded in 1854 under the leadership of Vice Admiral Robert Fitzroy, says Catherine. Fitzroy was a Royal Naval Surveyor... Who came to the attention of Beaufort, who played a part in securing for Fitzroy the captaincy of the Beagle on her circumnavigation of of the globe? This was an era when storms at sea went unpredicted and many ships and lives were lost. Through detailed studies, Fitzroy showed that storms could be predicted, and he proposed a national storm warning system. There was doubt among the scientific establishment. That the weather could be predicted, says Catherine, but the government permitted Fitzroy to test his new science of weather forecasting and to establish a storm warning service. The warnings had to be conveyed to ships before the days of radio communication, so Fitzroy developed a method of cones and drums made from canvas. The first warning was issued on the 5th of February, 1861 and the system is credited with saving hundreds of lives. And next is our weekly quiz. Uh, First, the questions and answers from last week, which were set by Debbie Diacon and were themed around the month of April. And I'm very happy for our readers tonight to chime in with the answers competitively, if they wish. So the first question last week was, the writer of Jane Eyre, Was born in this month in 1816. Who was she?
1: Charlotte Charlotte Bronte. Bronte.
0: (laughs) Correct. Question two. An armed revolt against British rule took place in Dublin in April, but of what year?
1: 1916.
0: 1916. 1916, correct. Now, in April 1956, this Hollywood actress famously married and became a princess. What was her name? Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, Kelly, correct. Uh, Also in April 1956, Elvis Presley had his first US number one, but with which song?
1: Heartbreak Heartbreak Hotel.
0: Heartbreak Hotel, correct. And this one hasn't got such an easy answer, so I might just um, forgive our readers here tonight for not chiming in. (coughs) It would be a (coughs) cacophony otherwise. What is the uh, the origin of April Fool's Day? Now the answer that I have may or may not be right, but it's what uh, Wikipedia tells me is that on the 1st of April 1698, several people in London were tricked, probably by the town crier, into going along to the Tower of London to see the lions being washed. Now, of course, there were no lions there, so those people were referred to afterwards as April Fools. And now to our quiz for this week. And please don't shout out the answers, even if you know them. So... Uh, All the questions are concerning May. You'll have to pause, Eric. Sorry. I can't pull the... Sorry. So the quiz questions, and these all relate to May. uh, And the first one is, what season is May in the world's southern hemisphere? Is it summer, winter, spring, or as the Americans call it, fall? We call it autumn, of course. That's question one. So question two. Cinco de Mayo celebrates the Mexican victory over which country in 1862? And again, this is multiple choice. Was it France, the United Kingdom, the USA, or Spain? My next question which spring flower officially represents the month of May? I'll give you uh, four choices. Is it the carnation, the lilac, lily of the valley, or tulip? Next question. In history, May 8, 1945, brought Germany's unconditional surrender... In what World War conflict? This one's pretty simple because the, the question, uh, the, the multiple choice answers are World War I, World War II, the Franco-German War or the Prussian War? <laughs> I'm expecting everybody to get that one right. And finally, my last question What New York landmark famously opened on May first, 1931 and was the tallest building in the world at the time? Again, multiple choice. Was it Sears Tower, the World Trade Center, the Empire State Building, or the Statue of Liberty? And now to our notice board. It's with... Great sadness, and I'm very sorry to tell you that we learned this week uh, of the death last Thursday, the 20th of April, of Doris Burton. Both Doris and her husband, David, were closely associated with Whitney Talking News, and many of you will have had contact with Doris when setting up playback machines, for instance, in your homes. Doris was a stalwart worker and supporter of Whitney Talking News for many years, and her cheerful presence. Will be sorely missed by her colleagues and listeners alike. We send our sincere condolences to Doris's husband, David, and her family. There were two deaths announced in the pages of the Whitney Gazette this week Barbara Pierce, who died on the 17th of April, aged 86, and Tony Smith of Bryce Norton who died on the 19th of April, aged 75. Sincere condolences from us to the families of uh, those two people too. And now we have some more news items. Oh, I should say, we don't have any listeners' birthdays to mark this week. So we'll move on to the next round of news items and we'll start with Dorothy, who has another story from Chippy.
1: The headline for this one is Enstone Plans Soho Link. Despite local objections, a revised plan for an ambitious automotive museum holiday and members complex on Enstone Airfield was given detailed planning permission by WODC in March following the 2020 outline permission. Of some interest, it also now appears that Soho House Group's majority shareholder, US billionaire Ronald Burkle, has recently taken a majority shareholding in the Enstone project, leaving original backer, US auto enthusiast Peter Mullin, with a lesser role. More holiday homes. The project is certainly huge. The 23,000-metre motor museum and 8,000-metre commercial space will be housed in a large five-storey crescent-shaped building, also containing 20 holiday homes, four apartments and 42 bedrooms for members, with a top-floor members' club. Elsewhere, there'll be 56 homes, double that in the original proposal, designed as villas, farmsteads and lake houses each boasting up to 7 ensuite bedrooms plus games room, gym, home cinema, wine, cellar, sauna and staff accommodation. The dwellings will be sold as holiday homes to fund the museum development. The landscape grounds include a lake and an exercise track for vehicles. Benefits and visitors. The Mullin Company claim the project will bring many temporary construction jobs and between two hundred and sixty and three hundred permanent new jobs, and add eleven point three million to twelve point seven million pound annually to the local economy. One and a quarter million pounds is being offered towards off-site affordable housing and £1.7 million pound to local community projects. The Mullins Club will cap its membership at one thousand five hundred. Soho House reportedly has 3,000 local members and anticipates 200,000 visitors a year. Blenheim attracts 750,000. There are also Soho links. Mullin's sole director is Guy James Williams, who was also, until 2017, a director of Soho House. The Mullin Project director, Michael Ergatoudis, also advises Soho House morphing to a private members' club. WADC received 254 objections and 110 rep- responses in support. Perhaps with the Soho link in mind, some objectors suggested the scheme was now less about celebrating vintage cars with display place now for only 18 vehicles and more a playground for super-rich Witch petrolheads, an extension to Soho House, which lies directly adjacent.
2: County hospitals relax COVID face mask rules, is the headline. Patients at Oxford University Hospitals will no longer be required to wear face masks. Oxford University Hospitals, which runs the John Radcliffe, Nuffield and Churchill Hospitals in Oxford and the Horton in Banbury, has issued new guidance which means patients will not need to wear face masks in clinical areas in their hospitals. The latest guidance states face masks will not be required unless they have symptoms of a respiratory illness, have symptoms of COVID-19 or have tested positive for COVID-19. Masks will also still be necessary for attending outpatient departments at the Churchill including haematology, oncology, transplant, chemotherapy and renal. Dr Annie Sykes, Interim Chief Medical Officer at Oxford University Hospital, said, Following a change in national testing guidance, we took the opportunity to review our COVID-19 safety measures, including mask wearing, in careful discussion with our infection prevention and control colleagues. We will continue to support our staff, patients and visitors to wear face masks in all areas of our hospitals if that is their preference and mask dispensers will remain in place in the various entrances to our hospitals. We will continue to keep this updated guidance under review. If patients are advised to wear a mask by infection prevention and control, this will also be an exception. Patients who feel more comfortable wearing a mask can also choose to do so however visitors who are coming into contact with immunocompromised patients will still be required to wear a mask staff will also no longer be required to wear a mask unless they are caring for patients with covid-19 respiratory infections or in hematology oncology transplant chemotherapy chemotherapy and renal care Stars to make Literary Fest
3: a real page turner. Country Files Adam Henson, radio journalist Ed Sturton, and crime writer Claire McIntosh are among almost sixty authors on the lineup for the week of Chipping Norton Literary Festival. The tenth Chip Fest kicks off tomorrow and runs until Sunday. Other familiar names appearing including TV historian Greg James, nature lover Richard Smythe, no more page three campaigner Joe Cheatham, and arts report Will Gompertz, Arts expert, I should say. Budding writers can still secure sites in a range of writing workshops and there is fun for children and drawing Storytelling and action stories. Okay. High praise for a takeaway. A fish and chip shop and pizza takeaway in West Oxfordshire has been handed a new 4 out of 5 food hygiene rating. Off the Hook in Longhambra, near Whitney, was given the score after an assessment on March the 14th. The Food Standards Agency website now shows the result of the latest inspection at the eatery which also sells burgers and other fast food favourites.
4: Okay, and two short articles from me to finish. Um, The first one is actually competing with the previous one you've just heard. Village pub given top food hygiene rating. A West Oxfordshire pub has been handed a new 5 out of 5 food hygiene rating. The Harcourt Arms in Stanton Harcourt was given the maximum score after an assessment on March the 23rd. The Food Standards Agency website shows. It means hygiene standards at the dog-friendly Main Road pub are deemed very good. The traditional pub has beams, log fires and flagged floors – and is popular with locals. The watering hole provides accommodation with a number of rooms for guests. Of West Oxfordshire's 109 pubs, bars, and nightclubs with ratings, 87, that's 80%, have ratings of five, and none have zero ratings. And finally, home waste turned away. Recycling centres rejected more than 10,000 tonnes of waste from Oxfordshire's households. New figures released by the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs shows that an estimated 10,110 tonnes of household waste was rejected by recycling centres after being placed in the wrong bin in the year to April 2022. The figure of... 10,110 is down from 10,120 tons the year before, but up from 3,024 tons in 2014 to 15, which is when local records of rejects first began. In Oxfordshire, 58.2% of all rubbish was recycled. That's 175,361 tonnes of household waste.
0: Um, That concludes our edition but uh, before we do leave you um, a reminder that as well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week there are several other ways to listen to our editions and magazines including podcast, internet on our own website which is wtn.org.uk and follow the link to listen online if on any week you do not receive memory sticks for us from us rather or there is a technical problem affecting them you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986 Uh, so that completes the edition we hope you enjoyed it Our thanks go mainly to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used, but also from the Chipping Norton News and the Countrymen. My thanks go to our recording engineer, Eric Imerson, and to our readers, Dorothy Allen, Anne Crawford, Mick Walsh and Andrew Dilger. Our admin team tonight were Marnie Leach and Nigel James, and our copiers and packers tonight are Ian Rose and Mike Herbert. Keep listening at the end of the programme for highlights of this week's best radio and TV listing. Or listening, I should say. Meanwhile, I know everyone here at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and so until our next edition, we will all say goodbye. Goodbye.
2: night.
1: TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
5: Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, April 22nd. In A Boy in the Water, Tom Gregory's memoir of how he became the youngest person to swim the English Channel, all five parts can be heard on Radio 4 Extra at 12.30 at lunchtime or repeated at 6.30pm. There's a treat for Shakespeare lovers with Twelfth Night starring Toby Jones of Malvolio. Opening lines at 2.45 on Radio 4 introduces the play followed by the first part of the performance starting at three o'clock. Part two is the same time on Sunday. The Radio Times Pick of the Week is an interview with one of Britain's most successful television dramatists, Sally Wainwright, creator of Last Tango in Halifax and Happy Valley, in the series This Cultural Life. Radio 4, 7.15 on Saturday evening. And from Archive on 4 comes Tanny Gray-Thompson, Still Not Equal, in which the Paralympic athlete looks back on how attitudes to disabled people have changed over 50 years. It's on Radio 4 at 8pm. Sunday, April 23rd, and Amory Duff reads from Charlotte Bronte's novel Jane Eyre, in the first of five parts, on Radio 4 Extra, at 11.30am or 5.30pm. An omnibus edition of parts 1-5 to five of Edna O'Brien's frank and funny novel The Country Girls, is on Radio 4 Extra at 12.50 in the afternoon or 6.50 in the evening. The Hidden History of the Attic discovers a part of the home full of memory, mystery and possession, starting at the 16th century King's House at the Tower of London, and discovers how attics have been used to hide fugitives, provide working space and house children and servants. Radio 4, Sunday afternoon, one30 Words of Music is devoted to the literature and music of the Georgian era, with readings from the Bridgerton romances and works by Alan Bennett, Jane Austen, Mary Shelley, Anne Radcliffe and Sally Holloway. It's on Radio 3 on Sunday afternoon at 5.30. The Black Cantor tells the remarkable story of Thomas LaRue Jones, the African-American tenor who sang Jewish music to the early decades of the 20th century, on Radio 3 at 6.45. While we round off the weekend with the Feast of Shakespeare continuing and a performance of Henry IV Part 2 on Radio 3 at 7.30pm. Onto programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday, so serialised right throughout the week, same time, same radio station, each day. Book of the Week is The Earth Transformed by Peter Frankopan, charting the elements that have shaped the world from the Big Bang to the present day. It's on Radio 4, at 9.45am. The Quarry is a thriller from 1965 in which the Shenleys buy an old painting unaware of the troubling consequences. Radio 4 Extra, 11am or 4pm. The Country Girls by Edna O'Brien continues at seven fifteen, twelve fifteen, or 5.15 on Radio 4 Extra. Dramatisation of Wuthering Heights by Charlotte Bronte can be heard every day at 10am, or 3 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. Composer of the week is Joseph Haydn, at 12 noon, Monday to Friday, Radio 3. The Warsaw Ghetto, History of Survival, is the story of an extraordinary secret archive of life in the Warsaw Ghetto, compiled by a secret group of historians and writers determined to preserve their experiences. It's on Radio 4 every day at 1.45. And this week's Book of Bedtime continues the reading of The Young Accomplice by Benjamin Wood. Radio 4, 10.45, each night. On to programmes then to listen to through the rest of the week, starting with Monday, April 24th. Lucy Worsley's series Lady Killers this week looks at the 1922 Ilford murder and story of Edith Thompson, who only witnessed the murder of her husband but ended up being accused of the crime. It's on Radio 4 at 11.30am. The Round Britain Quiz, described as radio's most fiendish quiz, has questions drawing on unpredictable fields of knowledge on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock on Monday. Sue Perkins' guests on Just a Minute are Paul Merton, obviously, Felicity Ward, Ivo Graham and Josie Lawrence, Radio 4 at 6.30pm. Well, Radio 3 in Concert brings us the 80th birthday celebration of John Elliot Gardner who spent most of his musical life immersed in Bach's liturgical music. In this special concert, he conducts the Mass in B minor, widely regarded as the summit of Bach's religious music. Radio 3, 7.30pm. Tuesday, April 25th. In a new series of the touring coronary panel show, The Kitchen Cabinet, the panel including Ainsley Harriet answers audience questions on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Costing the Earth asks what's gone wrong with our water system as sewage is now discharged from our rivers and seas on a regular basis and joined by agricultural pollution and a host of microplastics. How did we get into this situation? What will it cost to put it right? And how do we go about sorting out the mess? Radio 4, 3.30pm. Also on Tuesday, Watson Cornwall is a new series with a cast including long-term Cornish resident, Dawn French, in a sketch show celebrating everything that makes contemporary Cornwall what it is. The people, the history and the modern way of life. Radio 4, 6.30pm. Peter White presents In Touch with news views and features for people who are blind or partially sighted on Radio 4 at 840 on Tuesday evening. While Free Thinking presents Queen Charlotte Fashion and Music, a discussion on soirees, soprano stardom and sexual scandals in the Georgian era. Radio 3, 10pm. Wednesday, April 26th, Thinking aloud, Democracy, the political system that supposedly underpins the Western world, comes under scrutiny. Radio 4, 4pm. 4 Choral Evensong, in contrast, comes from the Chapel of Merton College in Oxford, on Radio 3 at the same time, 4pm. In Lemsisei's Social Enterprise, the poet, broadcaster and author reflects on charity, social enterprise and people. In his first episode, he explores the idea of shelter in all its forms. Radio 4, 6.30pm on Wednesday. And Freethinking tells the story of Emily Anderson, who was not only part of the Bletchley Park code-breaking team, but also deciphered Mozart's and Beethoven's letters and diaries. And there's also a discussion of punishment and the Magdalen laundries in Ireland, the institutions run by Catholic nuns in which they confine so-called fallen women. Radio 3, 10pm Rounding off Wednesday's Listening. Thursday, April 27th, and the subject of this week's Open Country is Jamie Allen, a celebrated musician and friend of the aristocracy, but also a thief, bigamist and deserter, and the source of many songs and legends in Northumbria. Folk singer Jez Lowe traces one of those legends across the rivers Ouse and Nid, over which Jamie Allen supposedly fled from army conscription to freedom in Scotland. Radio 4, the place for this, 3 o'clock. In the series Princess, Anita Anand and her guests discuss the Hindu goddess Devi Sita, the female protagonist of the heart of the Diwali story, Radio 4 at 4pm on Thursday. BBC Inside Science presents the latest scientific research to make the news headlines on Radio 4 at 4.30. While the subject of fallout living in the shadow of the bomb this week is Christmas Island, one of the small islands where Britain tested the hydrogen bomb. To prepare for and monitor the tests, the British utilised service personnel, including national servicemen and Fijian soldiers, with long-term consequences. Many have fought a long campaign of recognition of what they experienced. The programme is on Radio 4 at 8.30pm. To Friday, April 28th, and a new series of Eye for a Killing, a documentary telling the story of the infamous Scottish serial killers Burke and Hare. It begins on Christmas Eve 1828 as William Burke stands trial for murdering an old woman, Maggie Doherty. In the witness box is his accuser, William Hare, Burke's accomplice in 16 murders. Radio 4, the place for this, 2.15 in the afternoon. In the series Understand the Economy, the final episode looks at how the energy market works and provides a brief rundown of the National Grid on Radio 4 at 245 On the topical comedy panel game, the news quiz returns for a new series on Radio 4 at 6.30pm. And we round off the week and Friday with second-hand shops littered with old 7-inch vinyl records that were self-made by bands. In the single life, Mark Hodkinson, who was in such a band, buys a handful of these singles and tracks down the people who made them. Radio 4 Extra, 8pm, Friday evening. That's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe, and enjoyable week of radio listening.
1: TNF Soundings.
6: TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
7: Here's John's selection of audio described TV programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 22nd of April and this is Lizzie reading for you. So, let's start on Saturday with some cooking. Dishes using ingredients cultivated in the garden are on the menu in Mary Berry Love to Cook on BBC One at 11.30am. How about a comedy drama film this afternoon? A teenager puts aside worries about her squabbling parents and sets about learning the art of proper kissing. Angus songs and perfect snogging on Channel 4 at 11.30am. Find out who is the best home cook when the celebrities prepare their ultimate fish supper in Celebrity Best Home Cook on BBC Two at 12.45. Moving to the evening, the final part of Charles, R. New King, is on Channel 4 at 7.15pm. This is followed by newly discovered footage and dramatic personal stories from the fire at Windsor Castle in 1992. The Windsor Castle Fire, The Untold Story, is on Channel 4 at 815 Can Ian persuade a new member of the team to stick to the rules? Find out in Casualty on BBC One at 8.25. Then Susan finds out that her world and Conway's fiction have more in common than coincidence. Magpie Murders is on BBC One at 9.15. If you would like to end the day with some rock and roll, there's a documentary about Little Richard. Little Richard, King and Queen of Rock and Roll, is on BBC Two at 9.30pm. Moving to Sunday the 23rd. The London Marathon takes up all of the morning on BBC One and snooker takes up the afternoon on BBC Two. Neither are audio described as they are live. But you can love your garden. The team create a family garden in Sheffield. See how they get on on ITV at one thirty p.m. The feature film this afternoon follows the fortunes of Marty McFly as he goes back to the future on ITV at three thirty p.m. Gordon Buchanan, Ella Ashihami and Ade Adepitan see how peoples of the world are rebalancing vulnerable habitats in our changing planet on BBC One at 7.30pm. Joe tries to save Pip from a life of excess in the penultimate part of Great Expectations on BBC One at nine. Also at nine, there's a new series set in a hospital. Dr Edwards faces an impossible choice. There's only one spare bed. Does she admit the overdose patient or the one with gunshot wounds? When one of them dies and there's an official investigation, she finds herself fighting for her career. Find out how she gets on in malpractice on ITV at 9 If you've been watching Last Woman on Earth with Sarah Pascoe, on the final leg of her journey, Sarah travels through Jordan and learns how to be a Dead Sea lifeguard. Her series concludes on BBC Two at nine. Now the programmes that are on every day of the week. Starting on BBC One with paramedics on scene at 10.45. Homes under the hammer at 11.15. Bargain hunt at 12.15. Doctors at one forty-five, but not on Friday. Escape to the country at 3pm. Moving to ITV, Dickinson's biggest and best deals at 2pm. The soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. So, what's on on Monday? The big black chair beckons for the grand final of Mastermind on BBC Two at 8. As we have said, it's not audio described, but you should understand the questions and maybe answer some. I can't. There are some short films about the contenders, which might be difficult for you to follow. Sarah wants to update the guest bedroom with matching wallpaper and fabric, but Graham isn't convinced. How they get on is revealed in Sarah Beanie's new life in the country on Channel 4 at 8. Tommy's firearms exam is brought forward and Stevie tries to convince Grace to come back to work. All will become clear in blue lights on BBC One at nine. Did you ever wonder what all the fuss was about with I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? Well, there's a new series, this time set not in Australia but in South Africa, as it isn't live This time it is audio described. I'm a Celebrity, South Africa, is on ITV at 9pm and continues all week at this time. Are you a steam train fan? Would you like to travel on the footplate of a steam engine? Well, that might be difficult, but the next best thing is to travel along the Seven Valley Railway with driver Roger and fireman Ryan in The Flying Scotsman from the footplate on BBC4 at 9 pm. Moving to Tuesday. Only two designers remain for the final challenge to make over two thriving pubs in North Lanes, Brighton. The winner will be announced on Interior Design Masters with Alan Carr on BBC1. At eight. Alan designs a modern Ibiza inspired garden for James and Barbara, who run a charity providing free plumbing for elderly and vulnerable families. The resulting garden is shown and described in Love Your Garden on ITV at eight. Nine fresh cooks start their audition by preparing a family favourite dish for John and Greg to taste blind. Master Chef is on BBC One at nine. Also at nine, officers struggle to keep a royal visit under wraps and a man has been reported missing by his employer. The police find his car and then enlist the help of Mountain Rescue to try to locate him. Find out how they get on in Highland Cops on BBC Two at nine. Stacy follows a group of Ukrainian civilians as they train in the UK before being deployed to the front line fighting Russia. Stacy Dooley Ready for War, is on BBC3 at 10.55pm. Now, Wednesday the 26th. A diamond and sapphire engagement ring, a Hofner guitar, a 200-year-old church weather vane, and a leather fly fishing bait wallet are items for mending in the repair shop on BBC1 at 8pm. A former cow shed in the foothills of Snowdonia, a fine Victorian residence in now, and a 1930s home just outside Conway are free contenders for Wales Home of the Year on BBC Two at 8.30. The World Snooker Championships are being held in Sheffield this week. It's not audio described, but in 1985, the snooker final between Dennis Taylor and Steve Davis went to a very exciting climax. You can relive this game and hear the audio description in Davis v Taylor, the 85 black ball final on BBC Four at 9. Alternatively, the sixth leg takes the contestants into Montreal, Quebec and And Formula One is in town, so accommodation and transport cost skyrocket. Race Across the World is on BBC One at 9pm. Who was the real Karl Lagerfeld? He was one of the most flamboyant and recognisable people in fashion, but also one of the most mysterious. Michael Waldman goes in search of the real Karl Lagerfeld in The Mysterious Mr Lagerfeld, on BBC Two at Nine. Thursday starts with Arlene from Boston, USA, who wants to meet Chris, whose grandparents helped Arlene's mother hide from the Nazis in the Second World War, and Jessica from Lanelli, who wants to meet Sam, a fellow sufferer with a brain tumour, who have supported each other. They all get to meet in the Reunion Hotel on BBC Two at 8pm. This week's seven best cooks return to the kitchen for more challenges in MasterChef on BBC One at 8. Paul is at Battersea to meet a Spaniel who was found tied up a Shorky with a worry lump, and a yappy patterdale, he needs to acquire some manners. Paul O'Grady, for the love of dogs, is on ITV at 8.30. Continuing the food theme, how can you turn humble ingredients into a profit? That's the challenge set in the Lake District to infuse pine needles and cones in a perfect milfoy dessert. All will be revealed in Gordon Ramsay's Future Food Stars on BBC One at nine. There's a new series also at nine. Brothers Max and Jake are back in Edinburgh where they face a familiar danger. Guilt is on BBC Two at nine. After a bitter split with the Hollywood studios, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy embark on a tour of Britain's music halls. But attendance is low, and the old resentments threaten both the tour and their friendship. Stan and Ollie is the Radio Times film of the day on BBC Four at nine. East-end villains Harry and Annie did some horrible things when they were alive. Now their sons want to discover the truth about them. Inside number nine is on BBC Two at ten. Finally, to Friday the 28th. There's a community of North Koreans living in Japan. They have their own schools with pictures of North Korean leaders in every room. The Residents Association has been responsible for sending millions of dollars back and forth between Japan and Pyongyang. What's it like for them? Find out in Unreported World Inside Little North Korea on Channel 4 at 7.30pm. The four remaining cooks... Fight for a place in Knockout Week in Masterchef on BBC One at 8.30. Wiki has to keep out of the way of The Undertakers as well as clean up after a gameskeeper is murdered in Wales. But they are not the only people at the scene and then things take a sinister turn. The Cleaner is on BBC One at 9.30pm. It's Day 5 of Celebrity South Africa on ITV at 9. How about ending your week with a sci-fi film? Mark Watney is left behind on Mars when they are hit by a ferocious storm and his fellow crew members escape from the planet. He uses scientific knowledge and ingenuity to survive until he can be rescued, but... Will he make it? Find out in The Martian on BBC One at 10.40pm. I hope you find something of interest in my choices this week.
6: TNF Soundings
1: TNF Soundings Features from across the UK.
6: Hello, this is Alan, and it's daffodil time, so here is William Wordsworth's poem about the daffodils. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. Beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills And dances with the daffodils.
1: TNS Soundings.